Hello and welcome to Cinemaholics, where we review the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. One of us is a film critic, one is a casual moviegoer, and the third person is me, your host John Negroni from the Internet California. On the show today, from the Internet Pennsylvania, he's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he's our film critic. You can find his reviews on the playlist, Cut Print Film, Hey You Guys, Movie Boozer, and Your Expectations. It's Will Ashton. Hello there. Uh, unfortunately, our casual moviegoer wasn't able to make it. It's probably my fault. It's a whole drama thing and scheduling issues and surprises and plot twists. and it, it It's pretty exciting stuff, but we won't bore you with the details. <laughs> Basically, Maverick Hines couldn't make it, uh, sadly. Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, he seemed pretty excited about this film, so... We did. We know he felt about the film, but we'll yes. share that um, after we divulge how we feel about the film. So. We have notes. We have notes, and uh, that film we're going to be talking about is Overlord uh, from Paramount. So we'll get to that film in just a moment. Uh, that was picked by our patrons this week on our weekly poll on Patreon. Yeah. Uh, thank you for choosing Overlord over the Grinch and the Girl in the Spider's Well Web. Uh, we are going to talk about the Grinch in yeah, many reviews. Yeah, I saw it. Yep, yep. We're going to talk about Widows. We're going to talk about uh, Outlaw King, the front runner, maybe a couple more. But uh, we didn't see The Girl in the Spider's Web. Uh, Will, you just weren't able to catch it? I, I didn't have time. Yeah, no, I uh, didn't have a screening for it, and I couldn't fit in this weekend. I don't know. I I kind of want to see it because uh, Fetty Alvarez directed it, mm-hmm. whom is a, he's a director I am a pretty big fan of. I mean, he, like, he made uh, the Evil Dead remake, and he made, um, what was that movie called? um don't sleep what, what was it called oh the, don't breathe don't breathe that's wow, it. that was yeah. a good one yeah yeah it was a good film well i thought the evil dead remake was good too so I, yeah I, yeah it has its fans yeah i mean I, i'm bummed that this film didn't quite uh catch the same fire but i'll probably check it out on dvd or something someday so yeah i, I might catch it in theaters if uh if time permits a lot of great films coming to theaters right now yeah uh, for sure it's been tough yeah i i, I was supposed to see bodied and uh, you know, so many things are coming out and toward the end of this episode, we'll be talking about what's on our radar for next week and how you can help us decide uh, what's going to be covered. Of course, the big, the big movie we're going to be talking about next week is fantastic beast crimes of Grindelwald, but uh, we'll be able to squeeze in some other films to talk about as well. As far as girl in the spider's web goes, I'm looking at it now and it's a uh, 44% on rotten tomatoes. As of this recording, uh, only 53% audience score, so not looking super good, and I guess it is about as we expected. I mean, not from Fetty Alvarez, but kind of just from the look and feel of the trailers with this, and yeah, I don't, I, this is kind of meeting my low expectations uh, so far. Yeah, I mean, they can't all be winners, so that's how it goes. Yeah, that's true. So uh, other than that... Uh, I. I was going to slightly tease that we have kind of a big announcement next week. So be sure to tune in for next week's episode. Even if you have no interest in Fantastic Beast Crimes of Grindelwald, we're going to be announcing something uh, pretty, pretty exciting uh, for the podcast that uh, is going, that is, uh, is I think is going to be uh, pretty exciting going forward. I think people are going to dig the news and uh, but we're not going to do it this week. Just going to leave you all hanging. So apologies. Yeah. For that. I mean, uh, you can start your speculation, I guess. Uh, That's right. Uh, Speaking of, thank you, everyone who chimed in on the comments this week on our Bohemian Rhapsody episode. We got a lot of feedback Mm -hmm. for that review. We did. Uh, Really interesting feedback. A lot of differing opinions. That was a very contentious episode, as as a lot of you might remember. Uh, We we definitely, it was probably the most heated conversation we've had on this show. Uh, And uh, the comments were pretty, I would say, 
pretty thoughtful and uh, uh-huh. I, I definitely appreciated it, like hearing lots of different perspectives on when it ended up being a more controversial movie than I kind of expected. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's all, I'm always happy to hear from the listeners, but I'm glad that they were more civil than we were in uh, their discussion of the film. So that's always a plus. That's right. Yeah, I, I had fun, though. It was like sibling civil, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was a good conversation. It was a great episode. But uh, okay, without further ado, let's get into our featured review of Overlord. This is a new wide release from Paramount. It is... It's pretty interesting in that it's a genre-crossing movie. Uh, We don't get too many of those these days, kind of at this scale, but it combines the genres of World War II, kind of Band of Brothers, Saving Private Ryan, that sort of style, and that's really how Overlord starts out. But then along the way, we get into this kind of a grungy horror mad science motif and the two genres kind of collide in some interesting ways now this film was directed by australian filmmaker julius avery uh, he did son of a gun which i i haven't seen i also haven't seen any of his short films but apparently they are quite good and he's uh, definitely made a splash with them before uh, and the screenplay and the main story uh the story is from billy ray who helped the screenplay along with mark l smith Uh, However, J.J. Abrams, of course, of Bad Robot fame, was heavily involved with this. Maybe, Will, you'll get into why maybe there was some Cloverfield speculation, what that might have meant. But this is not a Cloverfield movie. This isn't... Yeah, uh, I was going to say. I mean, there was that... uh, There was that those rumors spreading around at one Mm -hmm. point. But as far as I can tell, this had no connection to Cloverfield. Right. um, Unless there was like some very, very hidden references. But, I mean... They they were way more overt in uh, um, Paradox, Cloverfield Paradox. And it sounds like, right. from what I've heard, that they are uh, just going to make a direct sequel next for the, the fourth Cloverfield film that's going to connect to the first film directly. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like they're not really doing the anthology thing anymore, which is unfortunate. I was actually really excited about the idea of like a Twilight Zone for films with Paramount and J.J. Abrams involved. But, alas, uh, yeah, this just seems like its own its own little thing, but oh well. Well, I think they'll still probably keep doing the anthology films. So, well, I I wouldn't worry about getting your Clover fix uh, anytime soon. I think that's still going to happen. Hope so. Um, but yeah, so this premiered at Fantastic Fests. Uh, reviews for it have been mostly positive across the board. And I have to say, I, I kind of joined the chorus of people who like this one. It definitely is right up my alley. And I, I was pretty surprised because remember we were watching the trailers months and months back. I was a little worried that it was it was advertising or it was almost like over-promising in the advertising. And I was like, man, is this not going to be enough war? Is this not going to be enough Nazi zombies? You know, is it going to be one or the other? And it's kind of being deceptive. But this trailer really captures uh, how even-handed the genres are here in a way that I think is interesting. Uh, the cast includes Yovan Adepo, uh, Wyatt Russell, uh, Pio Azbeck, John Megaro, and Mathilde Avier. Uh, I think that's how you say it. Matilde, Matilde. It's it. She's French, and I apologize for butchering these mm. pronunciations. But uh, it's a great cast, and uh, I know we were talking in the chat before about Wyatt Russell in this film. Uh, Will oh, Ashton, yeah. you refer to him as Hollywood royalty. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, he is the son of uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell, as you can probably guess from the name. So, yeah, I, I like him a lot. He's actually he's one of my favorite things about this movie. He he kind of plays against type because he's been I think since Twenty Two Jump Street kind of being thrown into like the like 
stonerish type characters. Yeah, like, Ingrid like goes slacker. west. You know, kind of. He's uh, yeah, kind of um, a typical millennial character. Yeah, then, there's that um, AMC show he's frontlining. Uh, I think called Lodge Forty Seven or Forty Nine. I think heard it's about Lodge this. 40. Yeah, yeah. I heard it's good, but I heard it's like kind of like Big Lebowski. Yeah, so I kind of added to that whole. Uh, like stonerish type of character he's been kind of typecast in. But so I like that this film uh, played against type and I thought he did very well in the part. Yeah. He had a bigger role. I'm so used to him not having a big role in these movies. You know, you have like everybody wants some where he's <laughs> obviously a very charismatic character in that. Yeah. He's no work. He's not the, very much a stoner in that one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He's not the main event in that one. Um, uh, but yes. And uh, you know, one of these days we're gonna have to talk about Kate Hudson if we're talking about. Um, yeah. You know, well, that's um, Goldie Hawn she, and Bill Hudson, but yeah, I was gonna say that's that's not uh, Kurt Russell, but yeah, that is uh, Wyatt Russell's sister. So yeah, half half sister, right? Yeah, yeah. But so anyway, uh, anyway, yeah. Now that we're that out of uh, Hollywood, our episode of uh, Cinemaholics talk about Hollywood royalty, Hollywood Borges, basically. Yeah. Uh, let's let's start with uh, Maverick Hines' review. He said he liked the movie. He gives it a B. He said he generally likes the pacing, but he doesn't love uh, a character turn that involves speaking of Wyatt Russell's character in this movie. Uh, we won't spoil what that is or how it he goes, had, uh, but he had, he had issues with the characterization basically and how that ultimately develops. But yeah, he, he had he, a colorful way of describing that character. Too. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. We won't say it uh, because we know there are uh, young listeners of cinema. Fresh that's right. want to keep it PG, but uh, yeah. So he said he was, quote really entertained by just a solid world war ii thriller movie wanted a little more zombie out of it though um well ashton what do you think oh we're gonna start with me um yeah i mean I, I i definitely enjoyed the trailer that you were talking about it definitely hyped me up for a film that i'd heard about i remember getting some buzz early on i think in true uh, bad robot fashion they were keeping a lot their cards pretty close to their deck you know yeah. pretty close to their chest i mean um we didn't know too too much about it. Then the trailer came out. I was like, yeah, this looks cool. It, like you said, it seemed like a nice blend of uh, historical drama mixed with um, some genre elements. Kind of remind me a little bit of like Inglorious Bastards in a way, like something that kind of changed things up a get a bit, but kind of had a historical bend to it. And uh, as far as that is concerned, I think it's pretty enjoyable. I mean, I enjoyed the cast. I think the gore effects are pretty good. Um, I think it doesn't waste too much time getting into the action, as made evident by. Uh, fairly inspired opening scene uh oh, yes. kind of a saving private ryan-esque type uh way of thrusting us into the story but it i i wouldn't say the story left me wanting but i never really felt like it matched my expectations i don't know why exactly and that's why i was kind of hoping to talk to you about it because i liked the film i thought it was solid i mean i i enjoyed it fine but it kind of left me like oh okay yeah it was pretty good like, I, I'm not quite on this uh, hype train that everyone else is on. To be fair, I haven't really looked at too many reviews, so I haven't seen exactly what everyone's digging. I can probably guess it has to do maybe with some of the political elements of the film. But as it stands, I think it's solid. It's pretty well made. It's fine. But I, I don't think it really did anything I wasn't expecting. It, it kind of fell into the motions as far as the plot is concerned. And I, I thought it did well enough, but I don't think it's really going to make much of an impression on me ultimately. It's interesting. I so I uh, I did read a bunch of reviews for this because I was curious, and I I don't see a lot of that like uh you know like 
virulent anti-Nazi-ness painting some of the reviews of like, wow, it's so cathartic. Yeah. I mean, uh, to be fair, I'm not saying that's the only reason why people are Right. Yeah, crazy, I, w- so. I wouldn't say from the reviews I've read, that's not really what I'm reading. I'm not reading like a, because of this, this, I think that is certainly an element. It's a factor. I think that, but it, it all lends itself to, I think what I, what I think what's clicking for this movie with a lot of people is how satisfying it really is uh, on all the levels it's reaching for. Most of the reviews that I've seen, I mean, nobody's calling this thing a masterpiece. Nobody's calling it something, uh, you know, that's groundbreaking or revolutionary. But I think what people are really getting out of it is the smallness here and how it's sort of it's a self-contained story. It's an original story. Uh, you say that it kind of goes by the motions, and I, I see what you're saying to an extent because it doesn't do anything that necessarily like rocks your expectations. There's no plot twist two thirds in. It's it's actually very straightforward, right? It you know it mm-hmm. takes you on this journey. It kind of lays out its own rules, follows the rules, but then also does some uh, I would say clever turns in in how the story develops in terms of uh, character conflicts and and uh, these soldiers who we should say. Let's you mentioned the opening scene, uh, it, it truly, that was the moment when I, I realized I was actually watching a film that was going to be above my expectations because I went into this really expecting something far more middling in the production value. Uh, I wasn't expecting the effects and the direction to be so well realized. Honest, honestly, I wasn't as familiar with Julius Avery. And I just think that the eye he had here was kind of remarkable. I mean, there, the scene, the tension uh, underplaying this, uh, you, you likening it to saving private Ryan is kind of apt because that is a very gritty intensifying scene, but it, it does its own thing. It, it, it's sort of, you know, trying to get across the brutality of war. Whereas this opening scene, which we follow, uh, our main character Boyce, uh, played by Giovanna Depo, you're, you're really following, you know, just this terrified human being really just being thrown into a war that he doesn't want to be in. Um, and, and obviously that develops later on in, in some different ways. But for the purposes of this scene, it, his fright and terror in these circumstances is what's really carrying you through this scene from his perspective in a way that I thought was it, – it just really clicked for me. I think uh, because this scene works so well, I was really on board for the whole thing. I was immediately sucked into it. And, uh, and it doesn't even get into the horror elements until probably about 30 minutes in, if that. And then it becomes sort of like a, you know, dirty dozen, but with just a few men instead of, you know, 12 people uh, trying to, to do this, what seems kind of like this small mission. It's They're just trying to take out a tower, but it turns into this big ordeal. And, you know, obviously, as we kind of mentioned, there's some some weird shenanigans going on with Nazis doing experiments on people. And at the same time, the stakes couldn't be higher because of course, if they take this tower down the war, you know, we'll be able to proceed. And and all of this is going on and a lot of things are going on. And I'll just say it, it had me from start to finish. And I, I don't think there was no moment in here where I was, was looking for more. There was nothing, there was no moment where I didn't feel satiated by this movie. It gave me everything that I felt like it was promising from beginning to end. And, and that includes the trailers. And I don't say that often. I usually am left either disappointed from the trailers or the trailers didn't suck me in. And then I wasn't able to, you know, watch the movie and, and get something out of it from there. I, I, I guess well, all I'm really saying is that this, this film to me was very compact and tight and I, I have very little negative to say about it whatsoever, honestly. Um, but okay. So 
let, let's get into some criticisms. Will uh, let's start with like the story. You say it's kind of by the motions. Um, yeah, it's a bit basic. What, what did you think though of the, the the horror elements of it? Because I mean, there, it, it certainly is a factor. But did you think it was clumsy at all in like balancing the genres? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, actually, I think that's one of the things I liked the most was how oh, it kind of uh, infused. It, it never felt like, oh, now they're like they're now like uh, Nazi zombies. It was just kind of like, okay, they work it in pretty well. I thought, if anything, the exposition at the beginning was a little clunky um, compared to the rest of the film, where I thought like the writing felt a little more even. And uh, Billy Ray is that is that the guy who wrote Shattered Glass? I don't know. Um, I'm trying to remember that name sounds familiar. I was trying to remember who that was. I'll look it up later. But um, yeah, no, I, I think for me, as far as the horror elements are concerned, I guess I was expecting the movie to be a lot gorier than it was. Not to say that it's not gory. I mean, it's fairly gory. But I, I guess compared to the trailer, I was like, oh, this movie is going to be like nasty. Like I thought it was going to be like really, really like gross and out there. And there are a couple stuff. I mean, yeah, like they don't there. they don't hold back per se. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's like extreme as I expected. But I will say the effects are good. Especially on, um, there's a part of the film involving the main antagonist, and I guess it's in the poster, so it's not uh, spoiler per se, but like it's like a big face wound. Yeah, I'm not quite. I think they they might have to do some CG for that. I don't know quite how they did that, but it, it, it looks really practical. cool. Yeah, it was one of the highlights of the movie for me. And like when you say like the way that the plot develops and 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 all of that, there there were certain things concerning that character and sort of how things go down in this movie that I wasn't quite expecting. Like, I won't say the movie ever really surprised me heavily, but I, I'll give it a lot of credit where I, I was just fully immersed enough that I wasn't thinking or trying to like think ahead or I wasn't trying to like get ahead of this movie. And, you know, I, I thought it was just the right amount of clever without being pretentious, I guess. And I, I know you hate that word, but uh, that definitely in this case, it was not. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, ever say it's pretentious i think it, i think it knows what it is and i don't think it tries to overstep its boundaries i think it's good i don't know if i quite call it clever though I don't, I don't know if there's anything in it that really like warrants that word for me but i'm sure, curious sure. why well yeah yeah for me the cleverness is in the staging um i i do actually admire this screenplay a lot i, I admire the structure of the acts because it is balanced so well and the fact that you the sense of location and atmosphere just go together really well. And I think it's clever to, to characterize these, uh, or I think it's clever to take these characters and to, to not give them super complicated backstories and the way that they interplay. And then the way that, and and I'm trying to step around spoilers here. So I apologize Uh for the ambiguity, but there's a, a a character conflict here between um, two of the main characters that I do actually think develops in a pretty clever way in the way that it plays with the sense of location and, you know, the difference between the tower and the lab. And I thought there were some, there, there was some light thematic touches here that it was just enough to be satisfying without it. It wasn't provocative. It wasn't like thought provoking or anything like that, but it, I did find it, um, you know, de- definitely like uh, something I wasn't expecting, you know, it was something there that they didn't have to put in and they didn't have to like to put in all these extra touches. But I got that throughout this whole thing where like the look of it was always very polished and I thought it was coherent, you know, like there weren't huge gaps in logic. It wasn't like you mentioned in Glorious Bastards earlier, which mm-hmm. is a movie that is totally, totally like historically 
in, you know, inconsistent. It's not trying to be historically accurate, but what I like about this one, what I like about this film that sort of is playing around with the world war two era is it actually kind of feels like the movie wants you to maybe think that this could have happened in some way, yeah. maybe less well, embellished. Yeah. I mean, it, in the same way that, uh, inglorious bastards, it's sort of revisionist history, but not to the extent where they go as far as inglorious bastards. Does, right. Obviously. I mean, <laughs> I was about to I spoil that. Yeah. 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 If the listener hasn't heard that, but, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, like, I agree. I agree with that. Like, it it is contained enough to where, like, I mean, I mean, I think if you read a history book, you'll know that this isn't true. But I mean, they make it feel authentic enough. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, you know, if you, uh, I guess, you could buy into this whole notion, you know, I mean, because obviously the Nazis have done, you know, horrible experiments on people, and you know, this could could feel like an extension of such. But yeah, it's it's interesting. I looked it up. Yeah, um, Billy Ray is the guy that wrote um, and directed Chatter Glass, and he is also. Uh, involved with Captain Phillips and uh, State of Play, and he's been involved with a lot of really quality films. So I think uh, that's a big credit to the film as far as the writing is concerned that they got him invo- on board. I did not expect that. Yeah, and he's uh, working on the next uh, Terminators. You know, yeah, he's and he's doing the scripts, um, at least. He's doing Ong Lee's new next film as well, Gemini Man with Will Smith, I believe. Yeah, so uh, definitely a, a very seasoned, seasoned guy. I didn't know that yeah, he directed films, though. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Cheddar Glass and Breach. Yeah, and then that um, mediocre um, uh, "Secret in Their Eyes" remake, I guess. Hmm. Um, you know, I I really don't have much to add to this. I just think that this is so what it is. You know, there, there's nothing here to really overanalyze. There's nothing here to sort of, and maybe that's a, a negative, the film or something. You know, where you could say, ah, there's not much conversation to be had about it. Um, I, I think maybe on a rewatch you could you could have some fun with like how this sort of like lines up too with uh you know the the cinema's long history of Nazi zombies you know it's been a long time I think since uh, kind of that schlocky horror vibe came about I think uh, I, I don't know if you're aware of this but the whole Nazi zombies thing was kind of resurrected no pun intended uh, that's not even a pun but you know what I mean um, no joke intended <laughs> in the sense that uh, the video game Call of Duty sort of brought back this sort of fascination with Nazi zombies. It became like this kind of cultural touch. Uh, point. Yeah. When did that come out? That was like back in 2008 or something like that. Maybe I was going to say, cause, um, cause there, there are also the um, dead snow movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which I'm a big fan of. And, there's Wolfenstein. Uh, uh, there, yeah. There's, a, like I said, like there is a lot of like Nazi zombie material out there. Uh, and you can sort of look at points where it sort of comes back in waves and, you know, renewed interest. And I think that's probably where Overlord kind of came in, sort of tapping back into this this uh, interesting thing that we could, we could probably have a conversation about why Nazi zombies is a thing and why, why Hollywood and video games and why, why we keep wanting to see stories about it. And we should be specific. It's not zombies in the sense of like, this isn't Dawn of the dead. This isn't like anything like that. Uh, Or 28 days later either, I guess. Right. Yeah. It's not, it's nothing like that. We're just sort of being, you know, a little fast and loose with the term zombie. Well, yeah. I mean, like they're technically zombies, but not like traditional zombies. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think this is a solid flick. I, I think that Yovana Depp and Wyatt Russell in particular uh, were just a really, there's just a great pair of characters here. I thought the, you see Wyatt Russell, you know, and it's like Kurt Russell from the eighties, really, you know, that, that charm, that charisma, it's like, yeah, like it, that tough edge a little bit. Yeah, but also like you, you want to get to know the person, and you kind of steely wanna... gaze. But there's there's a charm, the cutty, yeah. the kindliness there to him. Yeah, 
I really enjoy the fact that Wyatt Russell hasn't, um, I think that he's him starting his career with a lot of indie cinema. We, we mentioned he was in, of course, uh, 22 jump street, which is probably one of his bigger projects. And then this one I think is a much more of a blockbuster than he's worked on in the past. But I, I like that. He's sort of like proven himself to be an actor, uh, mm-hmm. you know, instead of like sort of maybe writing on his father's coattails, you definitely just don't get that. You, you got this like naturally talented actor who's really put himself through the paces. And so at this point I'm like, all right, this, you know, this, this show that he's going to be frontlining, I, I am really looking forward to it. And I hope that, uh, it's I, out. I mean, it, I haven't it seen any episodes right. yet. So is it, is it on a streaming service? Do you know? No, or? it's uh, it's AMC. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I, I know because they had ads for it every time I watched Better Call Saul. Well, that's it a, got renewed for a second season, so it seems right. to do. All right, so that's the thing. I'm kind of waiting for it to be on like Netflix or something, so that I oh can yeah, it'll be on the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Okay, uh, did you have anything to add for final thoughts? I mean, I, that was really my final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I feel a little bad because I guess the uh, listeners were expecting us to be a little more in depth with our thoughts, and I think. Uh, we were a little bored and roundabout, I guess, just because, like you said, I mean, I think the movie does what it sets out to do. I don't, I don't necessarily feel disappointed from it, but I do feel a little underwhelmed just because I guess I was expecting a little more from it. Maybe that was my fault. I don't know. Maybe it was the trailer setting up me up for something bigger than it ultimately was. But as it stands, I think it's it's fun. I mean, it's well made. It's it's a good calling card for everyone involved. I also want to praise. Um, I don't know their names. I believe uh, you said. The one actress was French. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I her name? She is uh, Matilde Olivier. Yeah, I, th- I thought she was very good, and I thought um, also the main Nazi guy is oh, yeah. he German? Um, uh, I think it's P. U. Asbeck. I think. It's okay, yeah, uh, I thought they were both very good as well. Especially um, yeah. what was the other? What was the guy's name? Uh, I think you pronounce it P. U. Asbeck, but that's yeah. probably completely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's quite like Christopher. Uh, vaults and uh, inglorious bastards good but i think it's a it's a fun uh snarly villain uh yeah yeah I mean, he's doing his own thing with it it's yeah it's distinct enough yeah so um yeah a fun little exploitation film nothing <laughs> nothing major uh fun i guess it's technically a b movie but it's a blockbuster so mm-hmm. a big b uh yeah it's yeah i'll oh, give it a b a, a b minus okay i was gonna say i was like what's the grade yeah uh B movie I, I, it's funny. We don't disagree. I guess I just, I, I think that the whole thing is just more polished to me in the sense that I was fully satisfied by this one and yeah. I'm really glad it exists. It's one of those movies that it, it kind of goes into my category of films that I realize aren't artistically memorable, but just really s- just scratch a, an itch that I think a lot of people are going to have. I, I heartily recommend this movie to just about everybody. Um, so I'm I'm more of a B plus on this one. I, I think that it, it really just it's you said it's well made. I very much agree. I, I just think it's it's great to see a competently made genre spanning film that doesn't make stupid mistakes, that you know, doesn't insult your intelligence, it's not too smart for its own good. Uh, I see what you're saying. We're like, okay, it doesn't it definitely doesn't add anything to cinema except for being just a really great example of like what you can do with like material that we've seen before. And for me, that's good enough. You know, it's, I, I just think it's, it's nice to get a movie like this once in a while, uh, where it's not selling itself to of being like, well, turn your brain off. It's, it's nothing like that. It, it really is just, uh, a wild ride with some really good details to catch along the way and some great performances. And, 
yeah, I was I was fully fully sucked into it and and glad I checked it out. So it's B plus for me. And uh, I think on Rotten Tomatoes, I think that I think the reviews have been pretty good so far. It's an eighty one percent out of uh, looks like a hundred hundred and five reviews so far as of this recording and a seventy seven percent audience score. So critics and fans seem to be fans, uh, or critics and audience members uh, appear to be fans of this one as well. And it's although uh, um, worth your time. It I seems- it's not doing too well at the box office from last I heard. Yeah, I haven't looked at the numbers. It's getting but, uh, uh, not surprised swept, to that. It's getting swept under the rug by the Grinch, which I'll talk about in a bit. Ah, oh, yes, the Grinch. Yeah, it's in third place. Uh, looks like it's made ten million so far, and it's under Bohemian Rhapsody, which is still cleaning house. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I will say, I mean, I think the budget for this was about thirty million, maybe thirty-five million. Mm. It it uh it was less than forty, so. Theoretically, I mean, I think they could make, or maybe not make their full budget back, but they could probably break even and do okay. So yeah, and hopefully yeah. this has legs too, like outside of you know theaters. I think that streaming royalties. This feels to me like one of those films that's going to have like a, a strong cult status uh, long after its release. Perhaps yeah. All right, well that's Overlord. Um, a B minus, a B, and a B plus from uh, from all three of us. So. Uh, a nice little range there but i think that b grade definitely tells you that you're probably going to enjoy this one and hopefully you'll enjoy it as much as i did but even if you only enjoy it about as much as will does uh, i think it's still worth your time at the theater so uh, let's get into our mini reviews well why don't you just kick things off with the grinch i i don't want to wait any longer honestly cool oh yeah um this is gonna be another one where i don't have a terribly lot to say but it is the new illumination entertainment film as you know illumination is the house of the minions uh, they made despicable me they made secret life of pets uh, including its upcoming sequel and they uh also quite famously made the first and only film adaptation of the lorax which is in my opinion uh, the worst adaptation of a dr seuss property ever and by uh, a pretty significant margin i would yeah yeah but i mean i think it's fair to say that um most are if not all uh dr seuss adaptations have been pretty bad yeah i'd agree with that or at least mediocre and i think and i think that just kind of comes down to the fact that i mean they're children's books and uh i mean there's a lot of wealth in them i think certainly in the uh drawings and you know the fun alliterative language and everything but as they stand, I don't think they're really. I, don't, I can't really think of a Dr. Seuss book that could warrant a full feature film. I mean, like most of them just kind of stretch out their welcome past the 30 minute mark and then they just kind of have to add a lot of filler. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's any of these films that really do a uh, good filler. A lot of it's just kind of uh, cringy jokes and uh, um, awkward pop culture references kind of thrown into the mix. And that is no exception with this adaptation of the Grinch. Well, uh, well, before you get into that, so what you're saying is the butter battle book would not make a good movie. That could actually work. You know, so? uh, what would you call it? the butter battle movie? I can't well, believe it's not. No, a I mean, butter I think battle? you just call it book, you know, like they made how many jungle book movies and they still just call it book. Mm, good point. So why not? Yeah. Just call it, just call it a movie All right. or just call it book. I don't care. Done. Um, I don't know. I mean, I do actually think I think I've talked about this before. I think you could, if you did it well, you could make a feature film, like an 80-minute uh, cat in the hat that actually adheres pretty well to what Dr. Seuss was going for. 
Um, I mean, that's not saying that I'm not saying that because of the podcast I do, but just because I think there's enough in there, enough silliness that you could actually kind of warrant a feature film adaptation of that if you tried. But I just don't think I mean, you'd you'd probably have to combine that with the cat in the hat comes back, but maybe not. I don't know. But anyway, um, The Grinch. It's it's a movie and it feels I think I just wrote in my review for it earlier uh, today and I described it, I think, as a movie that's designed to be sold in a Sears catalog. <laughs> and uh, I think okay. that's pretty much I think it's pretty much how I feel about the film. It, it feels like it's made to exist more than uh, any creative or mentally stimulating reason. I don't think there's anything that they add to the story that really makes it interesting or unique compared to what Dr. Seuss or the television adaptation did already. But um, as a feature film, I do think it is better. I say that with an asterisk, I guess, than uh, the 2000 version Ron Howard made with Jim Carrey, mainly because it's not the ugliest movie in the world. (laughs) As like that movie is glad glad someone said it. Yeah. I mean, the cinematography in that film is terrible. So you would probably rank it then the best, the best Grinch is the television special. And then this one. And then, yes. So, uh, yeah, I'd say it's like the, the TV one couple bars keep going down. Uh, you get (laughs) to the, uh, this one, then keep on moving that, that elevator down, uh, and then you get to the uh, Jim Carrey one. All right. The so, Jim Carrey uh, one is frankly terrifying, but I do – that one's though – I feel like I could watch at least half an hour of that and laugh at it before I would get tired and move on. I don't know. I just find it weird that um, – I mean, I, I think the cat has several problems, but I just find it weird that everyone is so f- willing to dismiss – the cat in the hat but then like when i bring up like the grinch which has i i would say all the same problems mm-hmm. uh everyone's like oh no that one that one's okay it's oh, like have you seen it it's it terrible it like, it's really really bad <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know i mean i will say compared to that film this movie isn't quite as like weirdly perverse as that film is or quite as crass but it is similarly very commercial i mean there aren't any like obnoxious product placements in the film or anything like that i do think it mostly stays true to the source material more so than the other film adaptation but i mean it doesn't it doesn't really have anything clever or funny to say well there is one gag i quite liked involving max the dog but otherwise it's it's at best amusing but i found it kind of dull throughout just just how it doesn't really feel like it wants to be more than fine like just something that kids can Mm -hmm. watch and parents can fall asleep in and uh everyone can see it and spend their money on the merchandise when it comes out by Christmas. And I don't know, it just made me feel very cynical about how uh, movies are made. And that's never quite good for a creative thing like this. So I think that's more of an illumination problem. I don't know if that's necessarily an issue with the filmmakers who, uh, one of them is Scott Mosier, uh, Kevin Smith's pr- uh, producer slash editor, Mm-hmm. which yeah, is a very we weird thing. mentioned this modcast just last week, right? And, yeah. And uh, yeah, and there's Scott Mosier. And like, I cannot emphasize how weird it is that he is involved with a kid film like this. I mean, I know he made that Freebirds movie, I think as a producer mm-hmm. uh, a couple years ago, but yeah, it just feels weird that like, you know, I've listened to the several episodes of Smodcast and they talk about very uh, graphic sex things. And now he is making uh, probably <laughs> one of the most successful animated kids films of the next couple of years. So that's Did just he also weird... produce uh, Zach and Miri make a porno. Probably. I, I mean, I think that's, I, on that. I think that was the last thing he did with Kevin Smith. Um, 
So yeah. No, I mean, he did something with Kevin Smith after that, but it was like a a Jay and What would he have Bob done after thing. that? Because there was Cop Out, and then do you make the animated thing, the super groovy cartoon movie? No, there there was like a there was a Jay and Silent Bob thing that they did in like 2013. Super groovy cartoon movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was super, after yeah, Zack and Mary. Yeah. But he I, he would yeah, he didn't produce. I that know he was. A, you're right. He he was he voiced a character in that, but I don't think he produced it actually. Okay, I haven't actually seen that, but I heard it's pretty terrible. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, as it stands, uh, the Grinch. I gave it a C. It it just kind of bored me, and it's banality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it it'll probably appeal fine to general audiences who aren't demanding too much out of it. Um, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is fine as well. I mean, he didn't. He didn't do a bad job. His performance is a little weird. It sounds like if uh, his version of Smog had like a science infection. <laughs> so uh, Doctor Strange? Not quite, but uh, almost. So yeah, I mean, like I guess it. I mean, I, I, I did find it amusing that I guess like if he lived up in the mountains, he technically would have like a permanent science infection. But <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly what he was going for. So uh, yeah. It's, it's a it's a film like i said it, it exists it, it does a job and i felt like it was made to uh come out during the fourth quarter of illuminations schedule then they like kind of calculated perfectly so that it would make so and so amount of money and that it would uh get to this time range and then i don't know i just i don't know it just made me more cynical about what illumination does as a company mm-hmm. and i don't even dislike their movies per se i mean besides the lorax i feel like most of them are just kind of okay and you're, you're uh, a champion I, of sing I do like Sing, yeah, but that's because the director is one of my favorite people on the planet. So um, that, I'm a little biased in that regard, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Otherwise, I think uh, most of their films are just kind of average or mediocre, and I think that tradition continues with this film. Okay, I, you know, I thought they were gonna at least for this add something, and the tra- maybe the tra- for me the trailer sort of signaled like something that the television special couldn't do and the book couldn't do that this could do because it's, you know, more modern animation was, you know, maybe just have some energy to it. The, the visual gags look kind of funny from the trailers. I thought they were going to maybe add some, like some interesting ways of making the Grinch kind of come alive. And I guess that's not the case. I mean, it's not quite as hyperactive as their other films. I think it's a little more tempered, uh, if that's what you're asking, but I actually, I do have one more point to make. And this one is actually something that did kind of offend me on a personal level. And that's, uh, the film, I hope this isn't spoiling for anybody, but they, they kind of roughly imply that the reason the Grinch doesn't like Christmas is because he's seasonally depressed. And, uh, that could be interesting, except that the movie doesn't really do much with that. And I think it's a little insulting to just do that without, you know, introduce that idea without really doing anything with it. That's meaningful, interesting, but, I won't get too far into that. I don't really feel like it. That's, but, a, that's a can of worms right there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I should have mentioned that earlier, but yeah, that's, that's something else to keep in mind, I guess, if you yeah. see this film and I wouldn't recommend that, but you'll probably end up seeing it. If, uh, if you have a big family, like I do and mm-hmm. you watch Grinch films that's or uh, Dr. Seuss. Yeah, that's the plan. I will be seeing it. Uh, if not in theaters Your with family, I have lots of, you know, we know the nieces The nieces help out with this show. Um, oh yeah, yeah they're they, our producers, right? That's right. They help me grade everything. Um, oh. But yeah, that that C grade you have, it's basically in line with uh, critical consensus. Uh, at the moment, The Grinch has a fifty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, like right in the middle, uh, five point nine out of ten average rating, and uh, some positive reviews. Though I was actually surprised to see Alonzo Duraldi of the Rap 
he he liked it. He gave it a positive review and uh, said that the the Grinch is quote full of warmth and wit. So I think, uh, uh, it's working for some people. Friend of the podcast, Matt Donato, I think also gave it a Matt fairly well. Liked review. it, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I wish we could have mentioned Matt's thoughts on Overlord because you know horror and all that is absolutely like Matt Donato's thing. Uh, I think I don't want to say yes. I can't remember because I read his tweets about it, but uh, uh, I don't want to say either way. I, actually, I no, wait. It. Oh, wait, hang on. He, I think he did actually like it because um, I saw he's on the IMAX poster. Oh, huh. yeah, that's one way to he has a confirm big quote. that. Yeah, I'll pull it up. Um, yeah, it was because I, uh, I was going to the theater recently and I saw a quote. I was like, hey, it's Matt Donato. Making waves everywhere. I, I have the IMAX poster up, and I don't see any Matt Donato quotes. Fine, I don't see it either. Oh, here, here it is. Oh wait, found it. Uh, this is why this horror is why fans I, go to the movies. Yeah, yeah Matt Donato. <laughs> that's awesome. Good for him. Congratulations, Matt Donato, friend of the he podcast. We miss you. All right. Well, that's the Grinch. Let's talk about Widows. Widows is a the latest film from Steve McQueen. Uh, Steve McQueen, of course, probably best known. Uh, I think his most recent film was 12 Years a Slave, I want to say. Yeah. Well, five I years think ago. He, um, he was like making an HBO show at one point and then they like pulled the brakes on that during production. Yeah, I, I, I think I know what you're talking about because he did some short films and then he started getting more into feature length films. But yeah, he doesn't have any official. No, TV I mean, credits. like, I, I, yeah, I know what you're saying, but this yeah. is like in between 12 Years a Slave and Widows. Right, right. Um, it it was a uh, it was codes of conduct um the film it was about uh it was like a bbc show and i feel like i'm gonna butcher what it was about but it, well um yeah i mean i guess the tradition continues with widows because it's based on a bbc right show. yeah that's right um a show like a not a movie and then yeah we have this uh i've never seen hunger or shame his other two oh. films i've heard Dude, they're fantastic I yeah, know, I mean, I need to catch up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Widow, um, sorry, no, not Wills. Uh, Hunger, I like a good bit, but uh, Shame actually might be my favorite film of his. It's it's a tough call between that and Twelve Years a Slave, but um, yeah, I mean, Shame was my introduction to him, and I was really impressed with that film. And it was, I believe, uh, the first NC seventeen film I ever saw in theaters, which was quite a distinction. Interesting. So, that so was yeah, because I mean, I guess that came out. Um, quite a while ago and, uh, 12 years uh, a slave was about five years ago. And it, it is interesting to see like this big gap in his filmography, you know, 12 years a slave, obviously it's a big awards favorite at the, uh, the Oscars widows is a heist film and it, uh, follows the story of a, a group of women whose husbands were caught up in this heist gone wrong and who lose their lives in the process. And then the fallout of this, uh, this heist, this this death, and and uh, the money involved in all of that falls on the widows who have to pay back uh, the men who were robbed, or else they lose everything: their lives, uh, their their wealth, everything. So, Gillian Flynn, uh, Flynn also worked on this. This was mm-hmm. uh, who probably I think best known for Gone Girl uh, at this point. Um, she uh, she's published a bunch of no- uh, novels. She did uh, Sharp Objects which was uh, the really great show that came out uh, this past year with Amy Adams. And uh, I think her other novel, Dark Places, was adapted for a TV show at one point. But uh, uh, It was a movie, I believe, with Charlize Theron. Okay. Yeah, I, I never saw it. It did make it. a big splash. Um, uh, yeah. 
regardless, a very talented novelist who uh, she was also, I think, probably known before that for being a TV critic for Entertainment Weekly. So look That's out, correct, yeah. Will Ashton. Uh, you could be next. Um, Maybe. Uh, I wouldn't place your bets on that horse. <laughs> we'll but, see what happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So interesting mix. Uh, Steve McQueen and Gillian Flynn, uh, two very interesting uh, filmmakers, I guess you'd call Gillian Flynn at this point. Uh, Widows stars Viola Davis. Uh, it also stars Liam Neeson, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, Cynthia Erivo, who we just saw in Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah. Uh, Colin Farrell, Brian Tyree Henry, Daniel Kaluuya, and Jackie Weaver, Carrie Coon, Robert Duvall. A really packed cast. I mean, the ensemble here is insane. This premiered at Toronto International Film Festival. Reviews have been great. Uh, I saw this one last week. I think, did we see it the same night or did you see it a little bit before I did? I saw it Wednesday. Is that when you saw it? Uh, I think I saw it. Yeah, I did see it Wednesday. So we saw it the same night. Uh, yeah. Same night, different states. Uh, but okay, Will Ashton, <laughs> Widows, what did you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, as I said earlier, I'm a big fan of Stephen McQueen. Uh, not to be confused with the actor, but the uh, filmmaker that has proven himself, I think, quite a few times at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it stands for the film, uh, I think it's probably his weakest of the four that I've seen, but... Uh, I still liked it quite a bit. It's fun. It's a little pulpier than his other stuff. Um, it's a little more crowd pleasing, I guess. It's a little more uh, broad, I guess, than the sense that he's kind of going for a wider audience. But at the same time, uh, I think kind of similar to uh, how David Fincher approached Gone Girl, I think he is taking something that could have been uh, a little exploitative and maybe verging on trashy, and he he turned into something that is. Uh, deep in commentary kind of commenting on the state of Chicago and air politics and uh, the tensions that are found in between like different citizens and different suburban areas and whatnot. And um, I think it's, it's a pretty compelling film. It's obviously made by a great director. And I think that is shown throughout. Um, I haven't seen the show that it's based on, but I could definitely tell that it was based on um, a miniseries because I think there's a lot of storylines in here that, um, Steve McQueen, I think, sometimes has a little bit of trouble uh, juggling. I think the main ones are obviously the the central heist, and then we have um, let's see, what's the guy's name from Atlanta, Paperboy, Brian Tyree um, Henry. Yeah, he and um, De- Daniel Kaluuya mm-hmm. uh, from Get Out and Black Panther. He they have a storyline that kind of is interconnected with Colin Farrell and uh, Robert Duvall. That is, uh, I think, they're both interesting, but. There'll be large chunks of the movie where I think they kind of they jump between one story to the other in a way that like they'll focus on the one for like four or five scenes. It's like, oh, okay. And then they'll like, kind of go back to the Viola Davis thing. And that kind of messes with the pacing of the film. And I, I, I found that a little bit of, of uh, a hindrance to its film. But um, I think once it kind of gets its mojo working and kind of gets into like the main thrust of the story, um, I think has great energy. And uh, I mean, obviously it's, uh, Sean Bobbitt is the DP on this again, his regular cinematographer. And I think there are numerous shots in the movie that are so good. They sometimes feel like they're like showing off <laughs> how good they are at filmmaking, which uh, um, I would be annoyed by if they weren't as good as they were, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a good film. I think you liked it a little more than I did, though. I did. I really like this one. Uh what, what I liked about this was that it's one of those heist films that is much more grounded and realistic. 
You know, it doesn't do the sort of splashy oceans movie thing, uh, which we just got Oceans Eight, which is interesting to see yeah. this one. You know, also if uh, a female led uh, heist group, and mm-hmm. the stakes worked for me, the 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 way that they interconnected these characters and the way that you sort of mentioned, uh, and I, I think Gillian Flynn maybe carries some of that. Uh, wait for like how everything is balanced. I, I think ultimately it, it works really well, if only because I actually, and I keep going back and forth on this and some people will call nonsense, but I do think it's kind of on purpose uh, the way that certain story threads are dropped here, which I think is like really one of the only significant criticisms you can really lob at this is that, you know, it's, it's big, it's ambitious. And ultimately I think some people will come away from it thinking that, maybe their favorite character didn't get their due. Or maybe it it was very long, but it also felt like it ended before it was over. And uh, that was actually something that I liked, that I liked the sort of lack of resolution for a lot of characters here. Not that there isn't resolution in a lot of certain respects, but sorry, you were going to say. No, I mean, I think the movie is smart in how it's produced. I think my issue is more with like how the, it affects the pacing of the film. But as far as the storytelling, I think it's pretty good. My only thing was i I felt kind of weird they didn't really uh spend too much time with michelle rodriguez's character um in the scheme of things interesting i I thought that they was i thought she had got plenty to do honestly i i I mean she has stuff to do but i think comparatively like her story her like kind of uh subplot feels a little lacking compared to viola davis and uh elizabeth Debicki. is that Mm -hmm. um yeah so i found i found that story a little lacking comparison but I think mean, I think she did a pretty good job. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I just I don't think I I don't think I agree. I, I think that it was actually pretty well balanced. I, I know that they do they do spend an interesting amount of time with Tabiki, but then they also bring in Cynthia Rivo, who plays this character who I found myself really getting fascinated by, and uh, in, in the way that she sort of comes onto the scene, mm-hmm. and is certainly a character that when I rewatch this film, I'm going to be paying close closer attention to to sort of. Uh, try to get into the head of like just to get into her headspace. I mean, this this is a much more cerebral film than I was expecting. Uh, you kind of touched on it, but like the the politics of Chicago and and all the factors at play was Cat. Chicago. Yeah, uh, it was much more. It was a much more gripping story than I was expecting, and and it was also filmed in a way that I thought was kind of remarkable i I think it was a remarkably well told story i think uh there are certain scenes in here that are just uh that are going to be sticking in my head uh there's one in particular where the camera is hanging on a certain part angle from the car where you don't see the characters talking yeah Yeah, Um, i like that yeah uh, it's such a great scene that it says so much with there's a there's a good amount of dialogue but without really, it's not on the nose. It's not, you know, overtly genre. It it does feel like a heist film that's being taken very seriously in a way that we haven't seen in a little while. That uh, I, I definitely appreciate it. Now, this isn't a territory for me. Um, I don't think this is a necessarily a must see. Although I, again, this is another film that I I fully recommend to most people. I I just think that you're going to get. I think for the most part, people are going to really get a kick out of this one, and they're going to enjoy just a it's just a really well told story here. I, I think that this is a, one of the a heist that you won't exactly see coming in certain ways. And uh, it doesn't do the typical heist things, but it knows that stuff is there. You know, this is de- Steve McQueen has obviously seen a heist movie before, and he's sort of playing with your expectations for what that can mean. Uh, it's reminded me a little bit of American animals, which kind of did something kind of similar with one of the best scenes in that movie, if not the best scene uh, that I appreciate here as well. But uh, yeah, I have to give this one a little bit of a knocking 
winding down, if only because I'm still grappling with, uh, to what, to what you said. I mean, I, I do think there's something to be said about the way some characters are given more to do than others. It wasn't necessarily something that held me back from Michelle Rodriguez in particular. For me, it was a little bit more Brian Tyree Henry. Uh, there, there was something about his character that I felt like was missing, uh, something that I really was going to make him click, uh, because the performance was there. The performance yeah, for was sure. great. And he's complimented really well by Daniel Kaluuya. He plays this like just really devilish character uh, that was, uh, you, you can tell that this actor is just really loving, you know, what he gets to do in this movie. I think here. he maybe steals the movie. It's hard to tell, but he definitely makes the most of it for sure. Uh, the the stares that he does, the, 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 the way that he just, you know, is blocked in all of his scenes. It's like, it's something to watch. I mean, there's a one take uh, with a beatbox scene in particular that's like, you yep. know what's going to happen, but it still kind of takes your breath away. And uh, for sure. Yeah. I, I dug it quite a lot. So I, I really liked widows. I, I gave it a B plus and uh, I hope people check this one out. I won't be surprised if it gets some Oscar attention, honestly. Uh, yeah, certainly with um, Stephen Queen, it's a possibility. I'm yeah. curious to see how it uh, how it holds up. I don't know if it'll get any award attention in particular. Lot, if but... only because there's a lot of competition, honestly. If this yeah, had come out it... last year, you better believe this would have gotten, you know, uh, quite but a bit. I, I think to Stephen Queen's credit, I think he, um, I mean, I, I, I know he had good intentions or strong intentions with the film, but I think he was using this, I think, as a chance to um, make a property that he loves a lot and he grew up with and he wanted to have some fun, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, which is certainly understandable given how serious his last film was. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed the film. Uh, I guess I had some some reservations about it. but uh, And I also, um, I don't know quite where I land on Colin Farrell's performance. Uh, it felt like more of an accent than a performance to me, but um, I, I don't know uh, where I stand on that. But... Uh, I thought, yeah, like we said, a lot of performances are standouts here. I also want to celebrate Elizabeth Tabaki, who I thought was great, and I think this was a great showcase for her. Really, I think she's been in lo- she's been in a lot of stuff recently. I think she she was in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, right? And uh, the night, uh, what was that thing with Tom Hilson? Oh um, gosh, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about because in Guardians of the Galaxy, she was like the gold yeah. character, right? Um, I don't want to, cause she was, let's see. So man from uncle 2015 and then that's not what you're talking about. Is it? No, no, but I, I I meant like, you're right that she was in that. Oh, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. She was in, um, she voiced a character in Valyrian. Um, yeah, I don't know if I remember a film called the night. No, it was a a TV show. It was a mini series. Oh, was it that? um, It's that mini series. I've been that. Oh, the Tom Hiddleston, the the night manager. Nightmare. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, right. She, that's the one that I've been. Everyone's been telling me I need to see the miniseries. Yeah, she was very good in that. I, I only saw a couple episodes, but she definitely stands out in that. And I think this is a great showcase for her as well. So I'm I'm very excited to see where she goes. And um, yeah, I mean, I like the film. Like I said, I mean, I think it didn't it didn't reach the same heights as uh, C. McQueen's other films, but it's certainly a good film to watch. And I hope people check it out when they get a chance to see it. Uh, there was something else I was going to say, but I'm forgetting what. It, well, I, oh, um, okay. I had one last thing to say about Elizabeth Debicki. She was in a lot of movies this year. <laughs> uh, she's in Cloverfield Paradox. Mm-hmm. She voiced the Peter Rabbit character. But oh, yeah. uh, one movie that not enough people have seen that I think they should go check out that she's in is The Tale. Uh, she has kind of a oh, really? haunting in, performance uh, in that. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say the movie is actually reminded me of a good bit was uh, Killing Them Softly with Brad Pitt. Uh, especially in the way that that film uh, explores crime and the city. And uh, yeah, that was a movie this reminded me of a good bit. So that's what I was going to say earlier. What was your grade for Widows? Oh, yeah. Uh, I gave it a B. 
All right. So B, B plus, uh, definitely a good recommend from us. Okay. We just have a couple things left. Uh, real quick, I want to talk about Outlaw King. Uh, Outlaw King is a historical action drama uh, about Robert the Bruce. Uh, I've, uh, I've heard a lot about one thing in particular about this film. <laughs> uh, what is that? Uh, the peen. Oh, that's right. You do see uh, Chris. I don't want to. I don't want. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna say I don't want to de- denigrate this film to just that because um, I think that's actually kind of uh, shameless. But uh, I, I I say that because like for some reason like like no one's really talked about like the quality of the film. All you ever heard, all I heard about was that they cut out twenty minutes and that everyone just keeps bringing up Michael or um what's his name. Chris, Chris Pines, Pines. Pe- yeah, Penis, so. which I, I think it's worth bringing up just because this is a film that, uh, you know, there not enough films. My thing is, if you're going to show frontal nudity for women all the time, it is kind of strange that Hollywood is like, well, you can't do that for men. Um, now, of course, if it offends your sensibilities either way, I think that's one thing. Uh, all I'm saying I think, is, uh, I think we've opened up in the past like 10 years as far have, as yeah, we've, male nudity. I mean, since for getting Sarah Marshall, I think it's kind of been right. getting into the mainstream. But I think the lot of, we don't need to get into this. Um, so yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's uh, start digging through the, <laughs> anyway, so Robert the, the Bruce, uh, Robert the Bruce, uh, probably best known to people from Bravehearts. Uh, he's a real historical person who was involved in the Scottish war for independence during the 12th century. I want to say it was, a yeah, it was like, the late 1200s, early 1300s, Robert the Bruce, he was the son of the Robert the Bruce that is in the uh, Braveheart film. Now, Braveheart, uh, the Mel Gibson film, I don't like the movie Braveheart. Braveheart. I know it has its fans, I guess. I, it's never clicked for me. I've, I've just never thought it really works as a film. And I hate how historically inaccurate it is. I just think it's it's offensive in how historically inaccurate it is. Like I'm not somebody who's a purist of like, I don't think that everything has to be like every little detail has to be considered as like, Oh, they wouldn't have those bricks in the 1400s or something like that. It's like, no, I don't go that far, but it's like things where you have like Mel Gibson's character wearing face paint and a kilt and like certain battles being completely wrong. And like all of this stuff about characters betraying each other and dying in certain ways. It's like, it's ridiculous. Braveheart, I think, is just a, a weird mythical telling of a period in time that's exciting enough on its own. And I've long said this, Will Ashton. I've long said that you can do the Scottish War for Independence and, and all this a story that is really fascinating, and you can do it by being historically accurate to you a say pretty this specific to us degree. All the time. I say it. I guess I haven't complained about Braveheart no. to you specifically, but I have <laughs> complained about Braveheart quite a bit uh, in my in my time. And I got to say, Outlaw King is the movie that I've been waiting for in this respect. It's not an amazing film by any stretch, but as a Netflix war film, oh, you could do way worse. And I actually think this one is perfectly acceptable for uh, a night a night to stay in, sit back, and enjoy Chris Pine trying to do a Scottish accent and, and you know, getting it right some of the time. Uh, and that's not really why you watch this movie. You watch this movie because... It is actually an interesting story that there there is something to like the Scott what the Scots were trying to do and and maybe I should give a little bit more background. So Scotland at this time was under the fealty of the English army uh, under King uh, I think it was King Robert at this point or sorry uh, Edward sorry Robert is the uh, main character uh, so Edward the uh, first he gets the Scottish 
to surrender because William Wallace has lost a battle at Falkirk. He's gone into hiding. And then uh, Robert Bruce and John Comyn uh, basically have to like, they're the last of the Scottish nobles who kind of have to like go back to Scotland and pay their taxes and do whatever England says. Uh, over a series of events, uh, Robert Bruce, who is played by Chris Pine, um, reignites, reignites a uh, revolution after William Wallace dies. And uh, with the help of Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, who plays the Black Douglas in this uh, interesting historical character that they actually brought to life in some interesting ways. And uh, Florence Pugh plays his wife, a uh, wonderful actress. I uh, remember her from Lady Macbeth. Uh, I've been waiting to see kind of a, another period drama for her. And this one's more of a war film, obviously. Uh, she plays his uh, second wife. Uh, his original, His first wife died. And uh, later on, the uh, King Edward actually sets up like a marriage to sort of solidify the houses. And so you have this interesting romance between uh, Robert the Bruce, a Scottish you know guy who's named King, and Florence Pugh, who's like who has a loyalty to England. And you kind of see like, okay, is she going to follow him? Is she going to kind of get caught up in this revolution? Or is she going to have divided loyalties? And you quickly see where that goes. But uh, nevertheless, it, it is an interesting dynamic between these two characters who are kind of like, you know, attracted to each other, but also very wary of each other and trying to figure each other out. And the romance here between these two characters is one of the most interesting things about it. And and honestly, a lot of the the great stuff in this movie is the interplay between the characters because it's not dialogue heavy, but there are just a lot of really specific moments where you have to buy like the only way that you get entertained by this movie is that you have to buy the camaraderie the the men who are loyal to robert the bruce in a way that kind of defies logic because there are really low points in this film where you're wondering to yourself why why are the scottish doing this like why are they so bent on fighting this hard for their independence when it seems so bleak and if you know your history you know why and if there are some faults with this movie it's that they don't do quite enough to really get it across like how terribly the scottish were mistreated uh, by the English um, and what they were specifically doing to make them feel like they had no choice, but to like to rebel and have their own lands because of, of what England was doing at this point. And like some of that history gets a little bit glossed over and spoken in exposition. And you kind of wonder like, because it's from the perspective of Chris Pine's character and these other characters, you wonder to yourself like, okay, why are they really doing this? Is it just pride? And if so, does that make this a likable character and so on and so on? Uh, I think that the movie though, through Aaron Taylor Johnson, interestingly does actually give you a good idea of like why they fight so hard. It's because they're taking their lands and like through him, you kind of see it. You see the anger, you see the resentment and like why he's so willing to risk everything to, to fight for freedom as Mel Gibson would shout um, to his uh, untimely uh, demise in a certain movie. I won't mention for spoiling it, but uh, that said outlaw King, it's a surprisingly better than you might expect Netflix action movie. And uh, I say that with no caveats. I think that most people who watch this are going to have a good time with it. And, uh, learn some history. There's some great historical accuracies. There's they, they stick to the script, honestly, with like a lot of stuff that actually happened, obviously lots of creative liberties, lots of things uh, that are kind of like moved around and, and played with, but uh, nothing that's like offensive or betrays the spirit of this point in time. So if you like your historical action movies, this is a really good one. This one's like one of the better ones that's come out um, in recent memory. So 
I would definitely check it out. It's a big budget film and it looks totally like it. It's $120 million to make. Oh, wow. Yeah. I uh, premiered at Toronto National Film Festival and uh, I definitely, definitely recommend it. It was co-written and directed by David McKenzie, by the way. Um, yeah, perf- I, saw, I heard that. Yeah, yeah. Perfect Fence uh, or Perfect Sense, Startup. Uh, one of my favorite movies of 2016, Hell or High Water. Uh, Hell or High Water, better film than this one by a bit of a stretch, but uh, this is a pretty decent follow-up and definitely a splashy follow-up for this director. Definitely, by my eyes, can really make a pretty compelling blockbuster that's better than it has any right to be, honestly. So that's Outlaw King. It is on Netflix right now. Uh, Will, do you have any interest in this one? I do. Yeah, I I don't think it's on the top of my um, movies to watch on Netflix right now because there are quite a few things I want to catch up on, including uh, The Other Side of the Wind, the new, uh, well, I don't know if it's new per se, but the recently released Orson Welles final picture that uh, they have on the collection that's pretty high up on my to watch list. I also want to get to Haunting of Hill House and that Adam Sandler Netflix special that everyone tells me is surprisingly really good. So it's on there. I do want to check it out, though. All right. Well, that was Outlaw King, and uh, obviously your options are plentiful with Netflix films at the moment. But uh, Will Ashton, uh, you have another film that you saw, The Front Runner. Uh, this was one of the films on my that on my list of films that I want to see this fall. Should it stay there? Is this one worth checking out? Yeah. Um, so this is the new Jason Reitman film. If you don't know, Jason Reitman is the guy. Um, is he still best known for Juno? Juno, um, young adults. I mean, Tully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all sort of yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. Tully. We talked about that for a main episode mm-hmm. uh, in spring. Um, I think Juno is mean, probably his most popular film. Maybe sure. Up in the Air is kind of close. I was gonna say Up in the Air for me is I think his best same film. But um, yeah. I mean, he's certainly. I would say, with the exception of maybe one or two films. Well, yeah, two films: uh, Men, Women, and Children and uh labor day i'd say most of the films have been fairly successful in one regard or another and uh did we talk about thank you for smoking his first film uh not in detail but um yeah i i I, that's quite good that's probably his uh second best in my view um yeah so this one is uh it's based on a true story i'm forgetting the guy's name gary hart Gary Hart, there you go. I don't know why I forgot that. But uh, played by Hugh Jackman, he in the, uh, I, I think it was the 80s, I believe, right? Mid-80s? 1988, yeah. It was the- uh, Oh, late 80s. Okay, yeah. It was, yeah, because it was the presidential campaign. Um, it was after Nixon, or sorry, Nixon, wow. It was after Ronald Reagan's eight years of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, it was uh, Gary Hart was the lead Democratic presidential candidate. Right. Yeah, um, which uh, is uh, where the title comes from. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, he- um, he was well on his way to uh, earning the Democratic ticket. And as the film expresses, like in a matter of, I think, three weeks, everything comes crashing for him due to a cheating scandal that gets quite salacious and scandalous. Uh, and it kind of set the way for um, how, I guess, especially nowadays, the line between politicians and uh, their personal life is kind of blurred. You know, like we, when you become, or not even politician, just when you become a public figure. Like you just like everything's kind of up for grabs more or less, and the film kind of talks about whether that's okay or if if that's appropriate or not. And uh, I don't think it necessarily weighs uh, one side or the other, though it definitely leans on one side. But um, I'll I'll let you explore that when you see the film, John. <laughs> right. um, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an ensemble. It's uh, kind of Robert Robert Altman esque in the way of its approach. There's like a single take opening shot here that's definitely uh a nod to his type of films and 
I, I like to, it reminded me of a good bit of like um, the movie No. Do you remember that? The, 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 the director of um, Jackie, his film before that, um, just in the way that it uses kind of uh, um, intimate, shaky cam um, approach that uh, he kind of, or uh, Jason Reitman started to pick up, I think, from Casual, his work on that uh, the Hulu show we've talked about more than once on this program. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting you bring it up because that doesn't No take place in 1988. I think so. Yeah, it's Pablo it's, Lorraine's film, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good film. If you get a chance to check it out, I think I've brought it on the show more than once. But um, yeah, I think it, it definitely kind of has that kind of look and feel and intensity to it, especially as the film uh, follows the the dissection of Gary Hart's political and personal life. And uh, as a film, I think it it has a lot to say. It doesn't really say anything subtly. And I don't think it says everything as well as it could, but I think the performances are very strong. I think uh, Hugh Jackman, uh, as per usual, is very good here. There are a lot of stand-up performances from uh, Vera Farmiga, J.K. Simmons. Um, I'm trying to remember who else is in this film. There's like a million people. Um, I remember Bill Burr was in it. Um, let's see. Uh, what's his name from Girls? Alex... Uh, Lincoln on that oh well um talking about yeah Adam driver no no i'm driver um oh i know who you're talking about he plays uh oh yes um uh yeah see i'm gonna i'm not gonna remember his name but he does play that character in girls who's like friends with adam driver i guess kind of almost yeah. um <laughs> he you know he's like i don't even know how to do, like describe the guy but yeah anyway uh, yeah, but I mean, it's a stack cast. I mean, everyone, their brother signed up for this film, it feels mm-hmm. like. And uh, it handles most things pretty well. I mean, uh, there's a lot of story here and uh, it can feel a little chaotic. But at the same time, that's kind of the point of the film, especially in how it portrays the media and how uh, a lot of lines obviously get blurred and a lot of things kind of get tossed in the air. Um, as it stands, it's a film. I don't think it really I mean, it's definitely going for a lot of things that are being talked about now. Um, I don't think I need to elaborate too more into that, but uh, I, I, it's definitely trying to put its finger on the pulse of uh, modern politics and uh, just general media discussions that are going on right now. And like I said, it's not very subtle about what it's doing or how it's trying to connect to today. But um, as a film, it's solid. It, it's, I don't think it's the best picture nominee that people were hoping it was going to be. I don't think it's going to be like this, uh, major shakeup for the award season that a lot it's of not people a front runner for best picture. Yeah. I didn't want to use that pun, but I was walking around it, but you, you just, uh, you nipped that in the bud. I was um, for you and you just didn't yeah, go for it. So I was trying to go around it, but you know, you know, sometimes you just got to check that, that mm. tree. I, I didn't, but, I didn't uh, have the heart to let you get away with that. Sure. Um, as it stands. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a ton to say about the film cause, um, it, it, it didn't like blow me over, but it's solid. I think I gave it a B. Uh, it, it does its job fairly well, but I don't think it's going to be one that is going to end up on my end of the year list, uh, at all. So, well, actually, yeah. you know, I love political movies, so I'm, I think you'll like it. I'm going to check it out. And I'm actually, I'm fairly interested in the Gary Hart story in particular because, uh, you know, it, it's funny because right before this movie came out, new information came out about that whole scandal. Now I haven't seen the movie. I don't know how it portrays what went down here, but there's something, involved where like the media gets their hands on what looks like, you know, puts Gary Hart in a situation looks like that he cheated on his wife. 
And the, one of the guys who arranged for that, it was actually a scandal manufactured to sink his campaign. And uh, basically, one of the perpetrators of it finally admitted to it after a couple of decades. Uh, so I definitely recommend listeners check that out if they're interested. It's uh, Yeah, I had no idea like, about that at all. It, yeah, it, it's something that came, it, the movie was already done. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty clear. Like once you hear the story of like what they did, like why it's so ambiguous and why Gary Hart to this day was like, I don't, I still don't understand what happened um, because they basically like took a picture and did all this stuff. And I don't want to give anything away, but they sort of did it in a very like hapdash way to make him look bad. And yeah, it, it, it was crazy because I was like, a, you know, thinking about checking out the movie and then I heard about the story and I was like, oh man, now it seems like this movie is going to just make me angry <laughs> um, mm. because, you know, Gary Hart, he probably would have been president uh, if this hadn't have happened because uh, he left the race in 1987 and then he tried yeah. to come back and then just the American public completely turned against him. And he's been a politician since like, he's still married to his wife and he's been, you know, in politics. He never went away really, but uh, this is an interesting chapter in political history, American political history that people will find entertaining because it, it, it's amazing how the course of history changes so dramatically by events like this or things like this, that, really as we're finding out like had no real basis like there was no real reason for him not to be president because he probably would have won that election uh, well, against like, the incumbent um, vice president honestly but no I, I do think it's interesting because i was talking to some critics after the film uh after the screening i saw and uh they were talking about the photo and they were saying that that was such a big thing and that it was very strange that they didn't they don't show the photo in the film I was like, you know, now you're talking about that. I was like, yeah, I mean, if that was like the big thing, why don't they show it in the film? And I'm wondering, uh, when did they, when did that information come to light that you're talking about? Um, it was uh, right before Halloween. So it was like, or it was oh, like okay, mid-October. So I was going to say, I, I was wondering if they edited it out, but I mean, I saw the film pretty well before that. Yeah, so. yeah, no, I think it was um, already. So it's interesting. I don't, I don't quite know why they chose not to show that photo in the film. But I guess maybe for the purposes of leaving things a little more vague, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of strange film in that regard, but uh, we'll talk about more when you see it, I guess. Sounds good. All right. Well, that's the front runner. Uh, it didn't really make any money. <laughs> like it made uh, it looks like uh, $76,000 total. Yeah. I think it came out on election day in limited release. Yeah, uh, it's not it's a rare film that come out like on a Tuesday. Um, on yeah. A Tuesday. It didn't, and I guess, I don't know, I mean, I guess in theory it makes sense uh, mm-hmm. why they would release a movie then, but I don't think anyone was like, "Yeah, let me avoid politics by watching more <laughs> politics. Right, yeah, the escape, escapism <laughs> wasn't lost on people there. Yeah. Um, yeah, Hollywood has this weird thing of like releasing election movies at interesting times, like a swing vote and like all kinds of things along the way. Anyway. Uh, this film has about a 62% on Rotten Tomatoes, so pretty mixed with critics as well, but skewing positive, so it sounds about where you're at. Um, although it seems like you like it a little bit more than a 62% might track to, I guess, for some I mean, people. I was between like a B and a B-. minus. I think I skewed a little more towards... I don't know. I've, I've been back and forth between the grade. We'll ask you again next week, maybe. Um, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that's The Front Runner. Uh, I, I want to check it out, and I'll let you know what I think of it. Yeah, because it was going to be, uh, it was yeah. almost on your uh, top three for the fall. Yeah, I really was like looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, I, now I'm just sort of dreading seeing it, but I, I'll definitely catch it when I can. I mean, I think you'll like it. It's entertaining at least. Yeah. So. 
Well, that'll do it uh, for mini reviews this week. Uh, let's close out the show with what's coming out next week. Uh, our featured review is going to be Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Uh, looking forward to that new Warner Brothers film, the sequel to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. i got to say, well, I rewatched Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Oh, yeah? I'm not going to believe this. Yeah, I watched you it. You didn't on... like it. You're not going to believe this. I, I watched it and I hate it just as much as the first time I saw it. So, yeah. Yeah. If you want a little back behind the scenes story, uh, dear listeners. Um, so uh, when John and I were getting to know each other, uh, we were on pretty like we were friendly. You know, we were, we were getting to know each other and talking more. And um, uh, when he saw Fantastic Beasts, he, or well, actually, excuse me, when I saw Fantastic Beasts, I was like, you, you asked me how I thought about the film. I was like, yeah, you know, it was all right. Um, I, I didn't have any strong feelings as uh, I'm prone to say on the show but uh yeah I, I was like you know it's okay it, it's not as good as the other ones but it does a job and you're like oh you're like okay cool i look forward to seeing it on thursday and then late thursday night because we have a couple hours of difference you know um i wake up in the middle of the night like see my phone's like going ablaze and i look and you're like yelling profanities and uh <laughs> saying several things at me in this film and i was like oh i guess uh <laughs> i guess it's a new chapter in our lives right here that's right and that's that's when will and i became friends yeah um, and that's and that's when john negroni became president yeah that's when he became the president um other than that we have instant family uh the uh oh my gosh i can't believe this movie is actually happening sean andrews film um and then we have uh widows which is hitting a wider release so mm-hmm. Well, we'll be covering, uh, I think one of us might actually catch Instant Family. I, I have interest uh, in it for reasons that yeah. are specific to the films by Sean Anders, honestly. And uh, I, I rewatched She's Out of My League recently, and I forgot that that movie takes place in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so I was like, yeah, Will Ashton, Internet Pennsylvania. Yeah, I mean, it was shot here. I mean, uh, I yeah. saw it a while ago. My friend's in the movie. She was an extra. Um, oh, nice. Tracy. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen that since it came out, and I don't really plan to, but... Yeah, um, ah, yeah. I don't have a reason to prioritize it, but uh, I'm actually kind of glad I checked it out. To be totally honest, like I, it was just a nice little like it's one of those comedies that I don't think is very funny, but it's kind of like comfort food, uh, right? And it's it's interesting how badly it's aged in the last decade. But I got a kick mm-hmm. out of it, honestly. It's on. I have to right ask now. you more questions about that after, uh, <laughs> away from the podcast. What do you mean by that? Yes, we'll talk about it. Um, and then last up, you have The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is going to start streaming on Netflix, but it's also hitting a limited release. You might be able to catch it in theaters. This is a new e- the new uh, Coen Brothers film uh, that mm-hmm. might be worth your time. And uh, it's an anthology uh, with like six different stories. And I'm hearing great things. What about you, Will? Yeah, I mean, I believe it's actually playing in theaters right now in select markets. Yeah, um, it's playing in San Francisco at the moment. But I think it's going to hit some more theaters uh, this next week as well, yeah. Probably. I hope so. I mean, I hope it comes here. I know it's playing in your neck of the woods mm-hmm. right now, and I would love to see this on the big screen, but I don't think I'm going to have that opportunity. But I definitely am 100% planning to check out this film because every Cohen film is a must for me, and uh, this is certainly a must as well. Right on. All right. Well, that'll do it for us this week. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, if you like our show, don't forget to review and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google, all that stuff you love. Our social media platforms are in the show notes. You can find our Facebook, Twitter, everything there. You can also email us anytime, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter if you uh, want to hang out with Maverick and myself and Will Ashton. Uh, you can find all of that in the show notes again. And uh, yeah, see you next week to talk some uh, Harry Potter. It's been a couple of years. Looking forward to it. Uh, from the Internet California, I'm John Agroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. For Maverick Hines from the Broadband Basement, we'll see you next time.